questions for you, but let's start off since after all, what's unique about this podcast, it's medical-based and sports medicine. It's the intersection of medicine and sports and, and looking at injuries and, and so forth. Uh, tell me uh, how about, tell me your, your favorite or least favorite parts. And I don't need names. I'm not trying to throw people under the bus of team physicians or yeah. athletic trainers or yeah. whatever, because one of the big, biggest things that people always say, right, is a team physician works for the owner or the, the staff owes the owner. So, so how can you really take care of players and how does that work? So give me some of your thoughts on, on that. Well, I think if you understand the reality coming in, it's a better working relationship for everybody. I mean, there's no secret that trainers work for that building first and foremost. They definitely care about your well-being. You know, like I'm still very close with a lot of my trainers, like the, the guys in L.A., um, Reggie Scott, um, Reggie's great, yeah. Byron, Tyler, that whole crew even keep in touch with James who was there in St. Louis and then left. like, I stay close with those guys. Um, and we didn't always agree. And there were times that I thought, you know, I was being, you know, urged in different stops along uh, my NFL career to play hurt or, you know, see what you can do. The old classic, well, see what you can do. It's like generally trainers are going to stand back and let you figure it out. If there's any, any critique I had for trainers and I know the reality is they can't do this is you got to take, you got to take it out of the player's hands sometimes. And you have to know which player you're dealing with. Are you dealing with a player that's going to look like, look for every out to get off the field? Or are you dealing with a guy like me who's going to play through almost anything um, because I'm afraid to be embarrassed uh, or look my teammates in the eye for fear that they might interpret that I'm, you know, not playing hurt or not giving it a hundred percent. I think trainers could take it out of guys like my hands a little bit better but I understand the working relationship. I mean, like, listen, it's a business. They're on one side of the business and we can be boys the rest of our lives. Um, you know, it doesn't always go that way, but there are going to be days where you don't, you don't agree. And we don't have the same exact um, priorities in mind. And, and that's okay. I've played hurt. I've been lied to by, you know, like I've been misled by doctors before Um We've had misunderstandings, but at the end of the day, my career went great. And uh, even the injuries, they made me who I was. So, Well, I think in general, what I find in talking to players, and it sounds like you're echoing this sentiment, that it's a lot easier to be boys. I mean, the locker room is a special place and the training room is a special place. It right? is. You know, people walk in and out and anything goes. And um, I get the feeling that, it's a lot easier for players to get along with the trainers and vice versa, but the doctors are kind of the outcasts a lot of times, mm -hmm. not always. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned you didn't always agree. And uh, tell me, tell me how you distinguish the doctors versus the athletic trainers, right? They're different. They're both medical staff, but most of the gripe I hear seems to be about the medical doctors rather than the athletic training staff. Yeah, I don't look, I don't get mad at people who don't have like that much power. And I'm not saying trainers don't have power. They play an incredible, like incredibly valuable role in a building. Like trainers, equipment managers, like these guys are people you see every day and that you deal with every day on a player level. You, you, you interface with trainers more than you do some coaches. So a lot of times you interface with them more than your head coach. 
you know, the head coach, you might hear from him for five minutes to start a team meeting, but if he's not your position kind of specific head coach, like if you're a defensive football player and Doug Peterson's your offensive coach, you might not talk to Doug a lot and vice versa. If you're, you know, if you play offense in a team with defensive head coach and whatnot, every day you're going to walk through the training room. The goal is not to stay in the training room. Like me, <laughs> I preferred to avoid treatment altogether because my frustration if I had any with trainers is that they were going to make you wake up early in a week where I'm trying to rest and rejuvenate my body. I have to come in at five 30 now. So you can rub some ice and stem on me for an injury that I could just tough out. And I'd probably be better off if I got eight hours of sleep and maybe a practice off. That's where I had issues with trainers was like, okay, why are we doing this? You know, like I want to know why. And that can be annoying because like, yeah, me asking why I might have a special relationship with a trainer, but if you have 53 guys incessantly asking why that's that breaks up their day. So I get where they're coming from. My issues with trainers would be tell people why, make everything intentional. And I know that you have to streamline certain things, but maybe some guys need, need more rest and like think of it, be advocates for your players, especially as they get older. You know, in Philly, I always complain about I never got a day off. Somebody could have at some point been like, hey, this guy's old. He's dealing with this, that, and third. Maybe we give him the Wednesday off. Um, doctors, it's usually post-mortem. It's usually after you have an injury. And that's really the stuff that can affect your future earnings. And those are the things that can affect like the structural integrity of like your joint or, you know, your bone, your bones. I don't know, like you could correct me at any time, but not cutting time for doctors is okay. I just got my ankle uh, operated on. Like I went down to Bob Anderson and got the thing that Von Miller had done CMC, right? No, CMC's on my hand. I got my, my hand fused too, but what's the perineal tendons. Uh-huh. I blew that, that sheath off and did the whole thing that Vaughn did. Bob Anderson, you go down to Bob Anderson, he tells you eight to 12 weeks, but the doctor's telling you, and I think Bob's terrific, eight to 12 weeks until you're like structurally sound. So the disconnect between the trainers and the doctors to me is trainers' jobs are to treat, doctors are to prognosticate what the structural integrity of like a, a joint or whatever, like where's the in-between? Who's the rehab specialist? Because that's the one place I think trainers in the NFL could improve. Like the timeline is not just like, when is it safe for me to take a snap? When can I come off the ball like Chris Long, take on a 360 pound guy? When is it, when am I going to feel safe? How long am I going to feel bad? We just don't like being lied to. We want honesty. And in the rehab processes, a lot of times and like pushing players back out on the field unrealistically is where we have issues, I think. Well, I think you make a very good point there. And that's what I always say. People, you know, what I do in this injury analysis and they go, well, he's got an MCL, so that's four weeks. No, no, no. There are different grades of MCLs. And depending on the player, the position, the type of player and where he is, for example, your parent, I wrote on Von Miller that I thought when at the beginning of the season, they said his season was done. I said, no, I think it's possible that he could come back. And when he comes back, he may not be able to flip sides like he does because, mm -hmm. because it was, I forget which ankle it was or whatever it was, right ankle, left ankle. He's going to have a side preference in terms of how he gets around the edge, yeah. you know, and, and, and you, 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 it's not, you're good to go and you're hundred percent and you can do it all. Uh, it's not like three month recovery, two months and 29 days, you can't do anything in three months. You do it all. Even when you're released to play, you're not, a hundred percent and there's yeah. tendencies where 
you can be put in positions that you can be helped. And yeah, I agree. Uh, it's all about customizing care. Custom, yeah. Yeah, uh, custom. That's the big deal. Because you just said it, like a DB's injury, certain injuries are going to keep him out longer than me and vice versa. And like, for instance, with the Vaughn thing, the perineals, I heard it like the first or second game of the year. And that was almost a curse because then it left the door open to me coming back. Yes. And I did. And I'm hearing all along and the trainers are hearing and the trainers are telling the coaches eight to 12 weeks. So when 10 weeks comes around, I'm feeling pressured to be out on the field because I'm going off this timeline, which is bullshit. It's a bullshit. Like that timeline should be, it should be a moving target. And like, you should know, looking at me, a guy who's played through high ankle sprains, shot up my ankle, played through, you know, fractured sternum, whatever, like, that guy doesn't miss anything. So if he's hurting, he's not faking it. We should listen to him and move that timeline. Another problem is the press. You guys say eight to 12 weeks, right? Then that gets, that's in St. Louis post-dispatch. I should have been IR'd that year. And it actually was a butterfly effect ruined the rest of my career in St. Louis. Now that was my choice to go out and play, but somebody should have stopped me. You know what I mean? And like, that would be the issue. If I was sitting here with Reggie, well, we'd have this conversation. Right, Chris? So you you go out to play. You choose not to go out and play. You're dogging it. You choose to go out to play less than 100%. You're not good anymore. I mean, yes. right? Yeah. And, how, and, and that's actually, I've been surprised that when I've had the fortune of players following me and whatever, I remember one time, I won't say who, because I didn't get permission down Super Bowl, we were alone at one of the media days, and a player said, "I sat down and introduced myself." He goes, "I know who you are," and I and uh, and I was like, "Well, that's nice." Actually, I I, I talked about it with a podcast once. Mitchell Schwartz. He goes, "I know who you are." Yeah. I said, "Oh, are you mad at me?" He goes, "He goes, I, I saw you tweet on my stuff." He goes, "Are you mad at me?" And he goes, "Because you know I was talking about your stuff from afar." And he goes, "No." He goes, "You helped me out because." You helped explain why I wasn't back and what my injury was. I wasn't going to whine about it to the press or the public. My, my injury was worse than people were saying, but you yeah. actually kind of gave me a voice. And, you know, of course, I never spoke to him about it. So it was an independent opinion that actually backed him up a little bit. So that's I mean, the, and that's what we want. Like we, we wish that more often like fans knew the differences between the timelines that like lay out, like this is when your ankle or your elbow or whatever is structurally sound. You know, like this is, it's healed. The tissue is healed, the joint is healed. But like, are you giving the same, are you giving like a tennis player at the country club the same, like, because they're different sports, we're different size athletes, it's a different load. Um, and I think that's the disconnect sometimes. Like, like the year I hurt my ankle, it's like in the media every week, it shows up that I didn't practice until Sunday. I had a high ankle. And of course we were resting and you're just surviving and you play Sunday, you shoot it up and you do the best you can. But it bothered me that people in St. Louis thought I was a guy who was taking days, like just for two months straight taking days. But if you tell them and you tell the media, it's actually a high ankle sprain. It's not your run of the mill ankle sprain, which we misdiagnosed it for two weeks because I was afraid of being a baby about it. And I didn't complain, but I couldn't walk. If I tell the media then that, then guess who else knows that? The other team. Yes. And, you know, then you become a target. So it's yes. a kind of like, if you're going to play, like sometimes it might frustrate you that people don't know what's going on with you, but it's probably a good thing too, depending on the situation. No question. And that's, I've been a big proponent of, you know, uh, injury analytics or injury scouting, you know, like, 
Chris Long normally does this, that's analytics. But this week, Chris Long can only do this mm-hmm. because of what he has, right? Mm-hmm. Or can't do this or can't do this as well just this week, week 12 or week 13, depending on what have you. And your timeline discussion is interesting. I look at it this way. Timeline's really interesting. I, I'm going to date myself here. You may not even know. You what got it, it. Go ahead. Like, uh, remember that show, Name That Tune, Bitter Note, I Can Name That Song, and, you know. Yeah, it sounds about, yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah, so, yeah, you, of course, you have no clue. <laughs> Your dad no, but Name That it. Tune, the concept of it sounds familiar. <laughs> I'm going to see what year it came out. Yeah, but the in any case, I know doctors that will always tell their team, their GM, longer, because then they look better that they got right. them back more quickly. Right. Okay? So one time... John Butler, God bless him. He gave me a ration of grief saying, you're not getting these guys back in time. Yeah. You said you thought it was four weeks and it's four weeks and he's not here. I said, look, I'm trying to give you my best estimate. I'm not trying to pad the estimate. Right. I easily could have told you eight weeks. You make a different roster decision or, or, or decision what you're going to go. And he is back in four weeks or three weeks. Meanwhile, I look good, but meanwhile, you didn't do the right thing by the team. So my job is to give it to you accurately. And so what we settled on in terms of communication is I would give him two numbers, a 50% number and a 90% number. In other words, I'm if things go our way from this high ankle sprain, he will be back in four weeks, but I know he'll be back in eight weeks. Right. And so I started giving him two numbers so that he could compute it better and uh, and so forth. And that's the way to go. Give a range and then also realize the key is what who's the player you're dealing with. Like I can remember coming off that ankle thing eight weeks out because I felt the pressure of eight weeks. Like my teammates are reading eight weeks. We're going down to play the Chargers and I'm up in the front of the plane convincing Jeff Fisher to let me play. He told me no. And I appreciate that. But like after three weeks of me wearing them down, they eventually say yes. So not only the range, but consider that your player is going to argue against his own well-being. And it's your job sometime to, to you know, uh, protect that player from himself. And so it's a complicated issue, man. Um, it, it, that's it, why it, I don't boil it down to just like all doctors are bad or all trainers are bad. Like we're all trying to do the same thing. You just have to realize when you go into it and the same thing with second opinions. I was a big fan of that. Like, and some doctors might get offended by that, but like, we all know there's a business. So let's just take that out of it. We are friends, but we're working in a multi-million dollar corporation. And that's the reality. Well, you know, my experience was a little bit different, Chris, in the sense that in some ways I was very lucky. Um, my first eight years in the NFL, uh, I w- there was at least one player on my team older than me. The last nine years, not so much, but the Nick Hardwicks of the world who, Nick, right? We're friends. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, uh, personally. And that's hard when you're a 55 year old doctor and you're dealing with 25 year old players, right? Where yeah. I was, you know, a 30 some year old young doctor and I felt like I related and I couldn't s- screw my friends. I mean, here's how I handled it I said, look, um, if you're a banker, your job is to take take care of the money. As a team physician, the assets of the team are the players. My job is to take care of the players. Right. So I didn't have it. The only time I had an issue 
is when the team was saying to me, hey, clear this guy, get this guy healthy. We have to cut him. And right. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. So that's, what that's, I told the that's, team- that's, that's, some, that's the dark side of the business right yeah. there. And how I handle that is I said, look, if you're the best guy on the team or the 53rd guy on the team, my job is to get them better. Do yeah. not tell me that you're trying to cut somebody. I don't want to know because I don't want to all of a sudden slow play his return or speed up his, I don't want to know. You're a human I mean, being. That's the side of it. Like there's some cold calculated people in the NFL upstairs and like, you know, it can be hard. Like it's, you, you could be in a bad position. And I think that's a really nice position to take is like, I just don't want to know. I'm here to do my job. If yes. everybody like focused on their job, like doctors, like you're talking about uh, players getting back as soon as they can. And, and also like, figuring out the line of where is it that I'm helping my team and when do I cross the line into, okay, I'm toughing it out, but I'm hurting my team. Like I remember talking to Greg Williams one time when I lost my position in St. Louis based off a tibial plateau fracture. So I had the, I had the perineal tendons finally got healthy after a dog shit end of 14, trying to play hurt, come back 15, fourth, fifth play of the year. I'm feeling good rolled up on tibial plateau. So I come back again doing the same thing, looking terrible, and I'm about to get cut. And I remember asking Greg Williams if I could get my job back. Like, mm -hmm. And I just remember the candor. It was like, Chris, I love you. And this is another guy who's my boy. Chris, you're, you're actually hurting the team trying to play and like thinking that like, so it's not fair to everybody else for you to go on like a, a suicide mission to try to prove that you're tough. Like you can't have the same amount of snaps. It's not safe. So there's going to like honesty is the best policy. And also like, that's all I needed to hear. And then I was off it, you know, like, but if you let the player ruminate and just try to, you know, battle, you know, their own image of themselves as this tough guy, like they're going to do it. And that's you, you player is the worst enemy of the player. No, 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 no question. And the other thing that I did with coaches and, and front office is I'll give you one example. There was a time where, I thought, quite honestly, and I won't say who, the player was jerking people's chains, you know, wanting to sit out, got paid, not wanting to do stuff. And that's the hard part. That's the hard part. And so I just played it straight. And the the coaches were in the front office coming to me saying, why can't you get this guy better? I'm like, here are the facts, right? Yeah. And, they, they, and I remember they were telling me that I needed to go tell the guy to go out and play. And I said, no, that's not my job. Mm. My job is to evaluate the guy and give my opinion. Now, it's your job as the coach or front office say, you need to go out and play because of the doctor said you're able to play. It's not my job right. to force them to go out and play. And I think it speaks to what you're saying is stay in your lane and do your job, right? Yeah. I mean, my job is to do the evaluations and give a give a fair shake. And, and what I told the team, and they believed me and they side with me, I said, my integrity and reputation is very important in that locker room news spreads very fast if you do someone dirty medically or oh other. it does yeah and so if you want the team to have confidence in me you have to and it's in your best interest to allow me to play it straight because yeah. if i start not playing it straight you're going to lose the locker room and you want me having the locker room. So don't put me in that position. 
Well, it'll be a one-time favor because you'll never be able to, like, you, you can do that, but then you'll burn the bridge and then you can't talk candidly with any other players. And to be honest, Chris, if they still said you needed to do it, I just would have said, no, I'm not doing it. But I like to convince people by telling them why you don't want me to do this, as opposed to being obstinate and saying, I'm smart not going man. to. Right? I'm not I mean, surprised you're a smart man. You're a freaking doctor. Uh, you know, but like it's common sense is not is not common sometimes. I like, yeah, I mean, communication, communication at all levels of an organization is so key when it comes to getting players to buy in. So like you're talking about the medical side of it, like that is no exception. And it's, it's the transparency, it's the communication, it's being direct. And more often than not, players are like, we didn't get here by being lazy. The amount of players that are going to milk an injury or like intention, it's very small. It was all always the opposite. It was a guy trying to rush back. Yeah. And people always ask me, well, how did you deal with, owners or, or front offers or coaches forcing players back the majority of time it was the players forcing themselves back it wasn't exactly. them for, I wasn't exactly. where it was it was it was putting on the brakes and and uh and to me um what you say about customization is exactly why I think it's absolutely silly tell me if you agree with me or not people say and the NFLPA says and and people in the media say an agent say it's impossible for a team physician to serve two masters, the players and the owners. So you need to have independent doctors come in here. The problem is, is if you have independent neutral doctors to come in here, they don't know Chris Long. They right. don't know what he's about. There's right. no relationship. To me, I always said to players, it wasn't what on Sunday, all of a sudden, let's make a decision on what to do with you. No, you have to build the rapport throughout the preseason and the season. So on that Sunday, in a split second, very quickly, without calling agents and getting second and third opinions, you can feel comfortable with what you're being told. And that takes time. And I don't see how you can do that with a cloistered independent doctor. I agree, I agree with you in a sense, but also I think it's a bit short-sighted because you're applying your set of values and morals to other doctors so like like fair enough <laughs> yes if everybody had your your mindset like we'd be there but if we know the horror stories yeah so that's where like to me and i've talked to like i had a physician dr green who was like my acupuncturist and also chiropractic work and, and art and like the whole nine he come in i invest in my body a lot so like he come in every week and the source of frustration is always like he was always on that independent doctor train. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good, but here are the variables that might pop up that would make it challenging. If we all had doctors that were, you know, that had a set of ideals that they stuck to and they didn't say, well, I just work for the team. I'm just doing my job. I give you a timeline and get out there. Um, or if there were, if there weren't doctors that carried out, uh, covert missions like the one you described which happened all the time in the nfl where it's like get him healthy so we can get his ass out the door then i think you i think your way of doing things would be awesome but it's just hard to to assume that everybody's going to have that mindset well i think for me it was actually just common sense and easy because for the most part the guys in the locker room were my friends and, and how yeah. do you do friends dirty? You can't do that. And well, so you had a good mindset. Like not everybody thinks that way. And so, I mean, I, I think if we get to a place where, 
I don't know how you do it. I don't know how I don't know how you do it. But if you incentivize people to be more the way you're describing, then maybe we would be able to just well, the, say, the all right. Quite honestly, Chris is is that I think the world has changed. If you look right. at, and I'm not saying doctors are bad. What I am saying is, okay, I I did a whole podcast on this. I'll make this quick with you. No, they, you're good. Actually, I'm good. My only yeah. job jobs in the nfl two come to mind on sunday that don't require any previous football experience there's only two jobs in the nfl it's not the cameraman it's the not head the coach of the houston texans <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah okay well i'm not taking a shot at cully it was more of my man josh mcgowan who i love so. <laughs> yeah no i i caught that i think that was but he didn't get the gig he didn't get the gig no i know but for a second but, there i was but, like what are we doing but here's the thing at least he had previous football experience he has football experience okay yeah. maybe not as head coach but football experience okay no previous football experience it's not the chain gang it's not the grounds crew it's not the athletic trainer it's not the coach it's not the equipment guy you know who it is there's only two people the team physician because he could be a really good doctor, but feet have never been on the grass. Right. Yeah, they, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Team position. And the other one, the team owner. Oh, the owner, for sure. That's that's the big one. <laughs> Those are the only two <laughs> yeah, with no previous one. football experience. You know what? I think from time to time, we might get a kicker in there. Is that <laughs> nowadays, nowadays, you know, like kickers are getting hurt left and right. I feel like you got to have a soccer player on deck. Okay, but even kickers, their feet have been on the grass and they picked yeah, it right, in practice. Right. Not I'm in a game, but they picked it in practice. But you're right, though. I know NFL doctors, and they're good doctors. Yeah. And the first time, I mean, I covered high school and college and residency, and I was on the sideline with head doctors in the NFL, at, you know, the Vikings and the different things. So I, like, felt like I could grow into it and was used mm -hmm. to it. As a boom, here you go. I mean... I, I do. I, let me defend the uh, Tyrod Taylor and Trent Brown situation with the IV and the puncture lung. I think I was just about to bring that up. I think they're probably very good doctors. I but, agree. But their feet have not been on the grass and in that situation. And, you know, and I also heard that with the Tyrod thing, that's a really tricky area to shoot, even for a very good doctor. And, and it brought me back to an anecdote where I had a doctor who I won't name, who I'm, who I love. He screwed up my IV one time and my arm swole up. Like there was a softball in my forearm. And this is two minutes before kickoff. I played with a softball in my forearm the first quarter. Like it happens. I, I mean, like, obviously there's some things that can't happen, but I know he's not trying to make that mistake. And he's done thousands of IVs and that hasn't happened before, you know? Well, well, you know, here's what's so funny is the only IVs I ever started were on football players because right. in my regular practice, I don't start any. Right. right. I mean, so that's the, so I guarantee you that doctor doesn't routinely give rib blocks. Now, right. here's the thing. Yes, it's very close and it can be tricky. It shouldn't happen. And, and, but it does. I think driving home or driving to the grocery store, you shouldn't get into a car accident. But you swerve one place and you know you're in a car accident and yes the lung is close and i'm not hammering the doctor but i mean i've done a i counted probably a hundred of them 
in right. 17 years. So it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. It yeah. shouldn't happen. But like when it happens, I just, th- I feel like I know that as players were so trained to be like, and I am anti negligence. I'm anti like, um, you know, I'm, I'm anti anybody who doesn't, who doesn't take care of the players, but like in that circumstance, he's literally trying to get the job done. He just didn't get it done. And so like, I think Tyrod, I don't want to speak for him. I'm sure he was pissed, but did he end up uh, suing or anything? No. Well, he has a year to decide to sue. Yeah. And everyone thinks he's going to, but here's the thing. What were his damages? He still got paid. He did get paid. Now, I guess you could argue he's not going to get paid next year, you know, and he, and he would have an argument there. And that's, and that's the thing is like the future earning, like butterfly effect of like a little negligence or a little bit pushing a player too hard or not, you know, pulling back the reins on a player who's trying to run out there, gimping around like that can affect down the line. And that's the only thing that players will, we'll make our decisions. We will be big boys about it, but you got to tell us the truth about what could happen. Like for like playing on a high ankle for a long time, you lose some ankle flexion. I never got it back. Like, I'm sure somebody told me that, but, but did they whisper it or did they say like, Hey, if we shoot this thing every week and if you play on it, like your ankle is going to be a little different going forward. And that for a pass rusher can matter. So it's just, it's little things. It's like, just clearly communicate. What are the outcomes that can happen? Yeah. And, and, and it's very tricky what you say. It, it's it's almost like uh, Goldilocks in the porridge. You know, one degree too hot, one degree too cold. Are you pushing too hard or too too soft? And here's what I always said to to fellows who followed me or new doctors: What we do, anyone can go 200 miles an hour on it with an Indy car on a straightaway, and anyone can slow down and get through the curve. The key is that we're dealing with a Formula One race car. Yeah, it's like you. And it's a very fine line. This is not a pickup truck. It's a very fine line from blowing out the engine or everything, you know, it, it, redlining or, or not getting the most out of it. And the key I always said in the NFL isn't to, to you can't go pedal the metal, you'll crash in the wall. You can't go so slow. The key is to know when the straightaway is ending, mm-hmm. you better slow down because mm-hmm. this might be coming. Mm-hmm. And when the turn is ending because if you wait to hit the straightaway to hit it you'll lose the race you have to start hitting it as you come out of the turn and i think that's the magic and some of that is as the mechanic is knowing your race car right and knowing your athlete and saying what kind of suspension does this guy have can this work or what how is he built and i think that's the magic of what we do not just one size fits all in terms of what's going on. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. And it's a, it's a great mindset. Yeah. Um, you look, I can keep going forever. I probably, you were a little over 30 already. And, no, I got uh, another five if you need me. My, yeah, my kid sure. Okay. Yet, so so let me so ask you, you another question that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, uh, we'll play a little game here. Okay. Someone has never met you. Yeah. So, who are you? What do you say? Oh, man. I am uh, at this juncture. I am a, um, I'm Chris. You'll figure it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like it. <laughs> yeah. If, when you try to describe yourself to people, you're only describing, you're only describing uh, what you think of yourself. And that's, that's oftentimes pretty diluted, right? 
So let them figure it out. Introduce yourself, let them figure it out. I love that. But here's why I asked. This is my pet thing right now. Mm -hmm. And since you gave me five bonus minutes, I'm just going <laughs> to hit you with the pet thing. I think one of the biggest issues, and it's you know unfortunate, it's happened unfortunately a lot to me. I've had six professional athletes, not all football players, um, you know, no longer with us for yep. different reasons. And I think one of the big issues is, yeah, CT may be a part of it. I'm not doubting. I'm with, I'm with you. It can't be all of it. it and I think the big it. issue is identity. Identity. <laughs> and, and that's why I asked you that question. Identity. Yeah. Yeah, like, and and I didn't know where you're going with it, but it makes so much sense because, like, I would never say a football player. I would never ever say a football player. I am well, not. A you never died, so you, not a, you don't mourn that. You don't. You know, <laughs> I'm not a football player anymore. Even when I was a football player, I was, you know, me as the football player. But I was so many more important things to like my family or my life or like my children. Like once I had kids, that was one of the best paradigm shifts or like just just like kind of for me I looked at life different and even though I was trying to to have a healthy like side identity and like you know the main course time-wise is football but who am I that like catapulted me into a headspace where retirement was easy for me nothing's easy dude like and walking away is hard because you know like I had some opportunities and like maybe I could still be playing like i you never want to say that, you know, lightheartedly, but like, I think I could still play. I'm 35. You know, I retired at 33. I was still productive. And, but like to walk away, I think the biggest thing you have to conquer is your ego as a football player or like you're, you know, like everybody has an ego, but like what, what, what brings you joy and happiness and what makes you feel like, okay, this is who I am. Like, I think if you put too many eggs in that football basket, it's dangerous. And like other sports too. Um, and I do get frustrated with, with that, like the same way you do. Anytime we see one of our peers do something wild or erratic or have a brush with the law or go through a hard time, like maybe it's a mental breakdown or deal with like some sort of uh, mental health issue, we automatically go got hit in the head too many times. So where's my, when's my mental breakdown coming? When's my dad's he's, he's 60 years old. He played 13 years in, you know, old CBA. He played three careers worth of head trauma compared to me, you know, like 13 years back, God willing, he's going to be the same way his whole life. And I know this thing can be a, a ticking time bomb, but I know so many former players who lived out happy, healthy lives. So I totally see the dangers of our game. I don't necessarily want my kid to play it. Um, CTE is real, but what I get really pissed off about is people who have a surface level understanding of this thing that try to tell me they know how it's going to manifest in every human being that has tau protein built up in their, in their brain. Like if you cut me open right now, doc, do you think I'd probably have CTE? Probably. You think you cut my dad open? He'd probably have CTE? Probably. <laughs> definitely I mean, like, Boston University 300 out of 300 former football players now let me ask you this though those people seeking that study all are are exhibiting something right to and, and, and an anatomic finding 
doesn't always result in symptoms or outward manifestations either to be that's clear. what i'm saying is like yeah. we all might have like okay that might be true that 95 percent of us have it but if you're telling me that then you also should show me that 95 percent of us all go batshit crazy and do erratic things in retirement because otherwise i'm going to tell you that like yeah ct is absolutely real but i don't know how it manifests every time so I'm not going to be told how I'm my, the rest of my life is going to go. I know too many guys who lived out happy lives and probably have tau protein in their brain. Yeah. And, and so my one conclusion is you, when you started in the league, you probably were, the league probably was in a, uh, don't tell anyone about concussions and kind of, yeah. area, right. I mean, it wasn't cool. If you saw stars to tell the trainer or the doctor, Hey, I saw some stars. You it wasn't. It wasn't cool. It's still and, not cool. Well, it's it's still not cool, but it's become more accepted. Yeah, and it's still not there. No, it's yeah, better. yeah. It's better. Before, when we said to a coach that this guy has a concussion, we're pulling from the game, we got side eye. And now, you know, you can't. Everybody at least knows what time it is. Eye. Everybody knows what time it is. And like yeah. NFC Championship, Eagles, first play of the game most freak play Kyle Rudolph just dinged me in the side of my head and I'm pretty sure I had a concussion but if you think that I'm going to leave the field with a minor concussion in the NFC championship game you are out of your gourd you know <laughs> and that's the problem is it's it's not always the players that are going to pull themselves out even though it's becoming more like acceptable when you see it as doctors and when the people upstairs see it which I think is a great like line of defense it's on the doctors and the coaches and the trainers and the coaches who are the last ones. Cause they're, that's like, have you ever seen a coach pull a player off? Like coaches can see too. So like when we get there, I think we'll be in a better place and I'm totally cool with somebody pulling me off, but chances are, I'm not going to pull myself off. That's just me. Another thing I want to say, doc, I think it's disrespectful to a bunch of people that are dealing with mental health issues to make every issue that a former player has, and put it in the CT bucket. You know, I think if I went in a locker room with 80 dudes at the beginning of a camp in 2008 in St. Louis, my first camp, how many of them you think had bipolar disorder? How many of them you think had undiagnosed like um, anxiety or like uh, depression or like things that run in their family, mental health issues that manifest later in their twenties. Like, so I just think it's, it's so short-sighted to your point to just drop everything in that bucket. We should respect it. We should continue to try to chase this thing down. But like, it's also a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you tell players they're gonna go crazy, they're gonna, they're gonna feel crazy. And like, I remember when Concussion, the movie came out or the Will Smith movie, I still haven't seen it. I don't wanna see it. Makes no difference if I see it. When all that shit came out my sixth, seventh year in the NFL, I started to wonder if I had issues. You start ruminating, you start thinking about it. And like, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. I retired, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. So unless CT does this and then it's back down and maybe it does, it wasn't a CT when I thought I, I, I was dealing with some, like, well, I, was, I was probably anxious, I have anxiety. I probably was dealing with a little bit of depression. Playing in St. Louis will do that to you. <laughs> but, but it wasn't CTE, you know? And I'm not saying I'm not gonna have it, or I don't have it, but I, I'm good. I'm happier than I've ever been. Well, that's good. I, I can't watch that concussion movie. It's a little too close and dear. And I think there's quite a bit of license and we don't need to get into that because um, a little too close to 
55 in the situation. So, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, uh, he, he actually was the best man and officiant at my wedding the year before. People rave about that guy. And oh, when I met him when I was a kid, like when he was around my dad, like I just remember what a warm, awesome human being is. And like whatever happened there, it's just a lesson in general. You never know what somebody's dealing with. No, I, I agree. And, and my only plea to quote you guys, and this is what I've been saying recently, is that is that you guys are all the same. I'm good. I'm good. If you're not good, um, then you need to speak up a little bit. Like if you get concussed, you need to speak up that you were concussed or your friends need to tell the trainers or the doctors you were concussed. Or oh, yeah. Friends need to, you know, speak up. So we're not going to this. But you're obviously, you know, the way you say I'm Chris, you're not going to where I've seen guys have problems. They define himself as a football player or a police officer or a member of the Navy or the Army. And and that part of their life ends. And then there's the identity crisis and then everything starts. To then who are you? And not only that, like a lot of guys will, and it's a nuanced thing, but a lot of guys will go home or there is no home. Like they've been living in their pro city. All of a sudden, like everything that was awesome about that city, really, they didn't, they never liked it that much. They were just, they were popular there. And then the minute the game moves on, which it does, like, I was so glad to have a dad who played because I think he gave me a little perspective and he's a hall of famer now. And I'm certainly not a Hall of Famer. I mean, not even close, but, you know, game moved on from him. You know, game moves on from everybody. And, like, those lessons are everywhere. So if you just brace yourself for the fact that, like, hey, guess what? Nobody's going to give a shit about you in two years. Like, it sounds rough, but, like, I just – it's better that players brace themselves for that expectation. And also, like, plan out what your next two years are going to be. because I think that's like kind of naive but I just feel like if you don't have a hometown what are you going to do the next two years like for me I'm lucky I grew up in Charlottesville I moved back to Charlottesville I got a family that sort of thing but you got some guys walking away from the game single dudes with no hometown and no second job and all of a sudden nobody cares and so the ego hit is huge and just just not being in the locker room not having a routine feeling disenfranchised like that's a real thing. So we got to support each other and guys got to pick up the phone and call each other. I know it's like, we've been saying this for a while, but I really do believe like, and that's, I wouldn't put that all on the guy who's struggling. If you used to play, like I try to call a buddy every once a week. Like I call a random buddy, like once a week, it's good for me selfishly, you know, especially in the pandemic, oh, yeah. when you're not doing anything. <laughs> But it's good for those players too. Like you never know who the third week, two guys might be like, why the hell are you calling me? You know, but like the third guy might be like, oh, I'm really appreciate, appreciative. I just talked to an old teammate for 20 minutes. I feel good again. You know, you just never know. Absolutely. So uh, I'll let you go on this. The green wall, the Eagles helmet. Are you declaring your ultimate loyalty? Listen, I, I, I get in this with fans all the time. I played eight years in St. Louis. The team moved. Okay. So like, I, I'm not like an LA Ram. Uh, I only played a year in, in New England, loved it there, but you know, I'm not a Patriot. Philly's such an awesome city. Uh, I'm definitely, if anything, like I associate with Philly uh, a little bit. And green's my favorite color. Green light pod, green, green room, green car, green, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's my favorite color. All right. Well, uh, Chris, thank you for going along with us. And uh, you know, uh, I think the best conversations are when you just talk. I mean, we didn't really have much of a plan or an agenda. <laughs> uh, 
That's it's good to catch up, man. Right? No, it's it's interesting stuff. I think like uh, what you do is is uh, fans should be listening because we don't get a lot of legitimate insight from that side. Well, you know, that's what I try and, and provide. I say it's not insider information. That'll get you in trouble with the SEC. It's insider knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Right? exactly. Not insider information. Mm -hmm. Try to see things from all sides. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks, and Doc. Appreciate the time. And and I'll I'll do green light anytime you want to have. Yeah, I got to get you on, man. You got to come on. We'll do a home and home. Yeah, I lo love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Doc. It. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, buddy. Thanks. Nice talking Thank to you. you. All right, Pro Football Doc Podcast. We went a little long, but I think it's clearly worth it to have that discussion with uh, Chris Long. And he lived up to all expectations from friends of just being a great, normal guy. Football player aside, I mean, he's a guy, if he was your neighbor, you would be friends with. I mean, uh, got a level head with everything. And look, he's got a Hall of Fame dad. He had a great football career. He could be all sorts of different ways, but uh, obviously he's as regular as can be. And, uh, great to uh, connect with him. Thanks for listening.